Who says tech can't be human? If you're passionate about that, something you like, then I think you could probably gain that passion. But it's hard to just go off money for a long time if you don't like what you're doing. That's anybody. You see it. If you're not in love with it no more, you know, it may be time to do something else. Welcome to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. We get it. Another vendor running another podcast ad, trying to get you to check out their product. Instead of explaining to you what our amazing sponsor Axonius does, we've brought in an Axonius customer to fill you in. Take it from Jason Loomis, Chief Information Security Officer at MindBody. The sheer excitement of my team to have visibility into what's in our environment and have it all in one location is just, I, I can't express how important that is for us. Want to learn more about how MindBody enhanced their asset visibility and increased their cybersecurity maturity rating with Exonius? Watch the video at exonius.com forward slash MindBody. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com forward slash MindBody. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again with a fellow cybersecurity practitioner along with a fellow content creator. We had to bring in an amazing guest for this episode. And our guest is Henri Davis. He is the host of the Textual Chatter YouTube channel and also the host of the Textual Talk podcast. You can find it on your favorite streaming platform. Henri, it's a pleasure to have you on the show and welcome. Man, thank you guys for having me today. Absolutely. We had to have this conversation. We got to talk about content, your background as a cybersecurity practitioner. But I figured we would start with the cyber stuff. One of my favorite subjects within cybersecurity is incident response. But I do believe that some folks have almost like this weird concept of what incident response really is. So in a nutshell, what would you say incident response is for everyone out there? Yeah. So in layman's terms, the way I try to typically explain what incident response is. I kind of make a correlation to firemen, paramedics, cops, kind of like an incident's happened on the scene and now you're calling in the people that you need. So within the cops, you got the detectives and you got the fire inspectors and then whatever happens with the paramedics. It's kind of what happens like on on the network side. You're kind of getting all the different business segments together to get you know, the requisite information to kind of see, you know, what's happened once this thing is actual live, you know, incident. I like that. And let's go a little further with that uh, comparison. You know, when you are in the incident response role, what position do you play? You know, especially when you're looking at the firefighter example, but also an incident response. Sure. So at my last company, I was uh, the person I'll try to make it. Uh, I probably would say I was like a glorified incident project manager, incident response project manager in mm. a sense. And funny thing is, before doing that role, you kind of don't see how, you know, useful that is until you actually do it. So I was responsible for pretty much you have to have a high level overview of the incident was happening. Do we have any vendors involved? Not is it internal? You know, what's the, I'm trying to see what word I want. I guess I say, what's the level of it? You know, L1, L2. Right. So what's the severity of it? Then we need to say, hey, okay, you know. Who are the business you know, units that we need in this? Do we need engineering? Do we need an uh, IR team? Uh, do we need like our operations team? 
pretty much any team that we need, if, if they're involved or something that they have access to, you know, we have to have us all like in a big chat and make our meetings and pretty much keep tabs and updates on things as well as seeking out information while the other guys are doing the dirty work of getting all the information from their end that they need so we could make sure that at a high level, the people that are way above my pay grade <laughs> understand, you know, the gist of what's happening. Right. So I've, I've been the incident commander in many an incident. And what it almost sounds like is like you're an extension of the incident commander. Uh, we used to have someone that would not only take notes, but also take action on like, OK, this needs to happen here. So then you can have like these spin out rooms with people focusing on specific aspects of the particular incident. Would you would you say I have that right? And if you do you have an opinion on whether that's the best way to run an incident or not? Yeah, definitely. I, I agree because also we would have like at the end of those powwows, like next steps. And, you know, I would follow up on the next steps and see like what's happening, getting the information from them. And being that uh, I think I got to, even though I went in my last company long, I did get to do like the first incident, like I kind of like headline. It made it easier for me just based on what was happening in the actual case that uh, I had a background in, in SecOps. So being familiar with that terminology, asking the right questions, what we got, what are we going to do? And when we plan to implement these changes to, you know, prevent the things that are found in this incident, you know, to cause us any, you know, issue. Granted, it was something found in internal scanning. So it wasn't like a full blown external threat. So mm-hmm. I like how you all have been incident responders and it almost sounds like in an organized way where, you have an incident commander or someone responsible for making sure the action items get taken care of and follow up. But for me, I never had that. I was always that person that's <laughs> just been firefighting almost like a chicken with his head cut off. Henri, would you say that you found yourself working at organizations like that? Or would you say that your experience has been where incident response teams that you've worked on have been well-structured? Uh, I think I've experienced just about everything. Uh, <laughs> one particular time I was on a, a call with one, uh, I was working for another MSS and uh, with one of our clients and they got hit by ransomware and they were on there like chickens with their head cut off. They didn't know what to do. <laughs> and that's because they probably on their end never thought they would get hit by ransomware and have their, you know, disaster recovery plans in place to figure out what they were going to do if so it happened. So I've experienced that. I've experienced, you know, being uh, instead of the person that is the, Incident response manager, I've been the person that was, hey, tasked with, okay, hey, we messed up on our end with your, you know, your level one guys messed up on this. I need you to rework the events that popped for this incident and see what they did wrong. Give me a detailed plan. I mean, pretty much what you would have did and what we missed. And I've had to do that part too. So I've kind of say I've almost been involved in like different areas. I still haven't gotten to do the fun stuff, like the forensic stuff yet. Like that's like what everybody likes. But um, I definitely say it's kind of been a mix. Organized, unorganized, uh, <laughs> kind of, you know, so, I mean, I think it's pretty good to have kind of like a balanced overall experience. Yeah. For those that that haven't been in an incident before, it is really disorienting. And we were just talking before the podcast about your affinity for boxing. I'm a big MMA guy. So is Ron. Uh, I've trained quite a bit in different martial arts, but it's those punches that you don't see coming that really just kind of like rock your bell. You don't know. You're like, whoa, what happened? You're trying to like get your grasp, orient yourself to where the attacker is coming from. And it's just like that when you're in an incident, you know, 
something bad happened, but you don't have all the details. You don't know where you're at in this particular attack. And you're trying to pull all these things together to figure out, all right, how do I move forward, protect myself? And obviously you want to eradicate that threat. But if you could explain for everyone out that has never been in an incident before, like what is it like going through the beginning of an incident all the way through closure? Give us an example of what that might feel like for folks out there. I say it's like chaos. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think what you may, a regular person may kind of say this might be. And the first thing that popped in my mind when you asked that question is, and I thought about it because I've had like maybe one big one. I say maybe it's like a wreck. A wreck is something that, you know, you got a potential risk for, but you drive with insurance hoping that if it does happen, you know what to do. But even though it happens, you're not prepared for, you know, what happens in the actual wreck. So, and I correlate that to my first ever wreck and just, you know, being gone off adrenaline, getting hit and and getting out of my car, running to like the outside of the, um, to the side of the road pretty much. Because when I got hit, my car, like pretty much, whatever the word is, where I was in one lane, they hit it to where my car was kind of like both lanes. And I, for whatever reason, I don't know how I was able to know like a car behind me could possibly like hit me. Uh, and so I just got over there and then start making the calls. And then from start to finish, you know, pretty much you got to get your police report, file with a claim with the insurance and then keep up on them when they go to do the adjustments for your car and, and getting the money. I would say like, that's kind of like this, like every company has, you know, a, a risk appetite, some's bigger than others. <laughs> and uh, when it happens, it's like, okay, we definitely weren't prepared for this or okay, this is bad, but we were ready. I mean, it still hurts, but we'll get through it. I think my first experience by dealing with the big incident that I kind of forewarned, you know, everybody in the organization that could possibly happen. But, you know, that's another story. I say we, we handled it pretty well. Start to finish, we figured out, and I think they made the changes. And I don't think that same thing ever happened again, even after I left. Them. So hopefully that was like a good comparison, like to compare to something like a wreck. I think everybody may experience a wreck. Yep. Everybody experiences that in cybersecurity, outside of cybersecurity, hopefully not too often. But yeah, I would say it's it's just like that. And when you are experiencing a wreck, something that was catastrophic or destructive, whether it be in the organization or not, you deal with a lot of personalities. And when I watch you know, some of your content, you talk about etiquette and coaching and how to do things better. You, I even saw one of the videos that you were Saying you were talking about not lying on a job interview, which I thought was pretty interesting and insightful for maybe those that aren't in cybersecurity. But when you're looking at the personalities when dealing with an incident, how would you describe them? I think everybody has different personalities. And, and when they deal with you got the, the gung-ho person, the person that's kind of laid back, the person that's kind of like in between. I think that's where the part comes in of, you know, incident manager or or someone else, whoever's in control of this. It's like, hey, how do I get all these different personality types to cooperate and do what we need to do, you know, for the business so we can make sure we're not losing money? I think that's the biggest thing and kind of what I witnessed with those and, you know, make sure everybody has their deliverables on time because that's a big one too. It's like, hey, man, we're still waiting on this. Like, you know, what's taking you so long? And that could actually be the holdup of why you're wondering like what actually happened when they want to get that RCA on an actual incident that happened. 
Let's talk a little bit about the stuff that you've learned in your career and how you apply that to creating content, right? You were telling me that you really started with boxing content, but now you've transitioned from doing boxing content to being more focused on cybersecurity and and things like that. What has that journey been like for you? And tell us a little story about that. Yeah, it's been pretty interesting. I've always been a person who's been helpful. Even before I actually made like an official, you know, business out of this or coaching others and resumes and doing what I do now, I've always been a person to try to help. And so when the pandemic happened and uh, actually in the pandemic, I had my first child. So that's probably also part of it, too. It's like, man, what else can I what I cannot do to help me out and spend my brand and, you know, just make me more marketable as well. And so I started with the channel and. Because I had a lot of those failures, you know, if anybody goes back and watch some of that boxing content, like (laughs) the quality is not the best. (laughs) But that journey of like, you know, taking this seriously, like from day one, I wasn't, I mean, I still got ways to go, like even get better with my production and everything, but better mics, you name it. But from day one, I think people saw like, you know, hey, this is a guy that, you know, taking it seriously and he's trying to make sure he's giving us valuable information. I was never really too much concerned with, you know, going my channel the fastest to get, you know, all the subscribers, all this. I really just focus on, hey, am I putting out, you know, valuable content for people to come back and watch? Is this content going to help people? You know, is it going to answer some questions they have? Because one of the other reasons I started is because when I was trying to get into cybersecurity really in you know, 2013, all the way until I finally got in, what, early 2017? Yeah, okay, yeah, 2017. So that gap of time, I didn't really have what we have, you know, on content now as far as like YouTube, all these different boot camps, anything, the stuff with LinkedIn. Like, I didn't really have that. So I was like, you know, I want to be a medium for people to where they don't have to even come by my coach or anything like that. You know, if so, I put out enough blogs and free stuff to where I should at least been able to do something with their career. And it's been people that's, you know, Mention me on LinkedIn or commented on YouTube that said, you know, hey, this content really helped me in the job interview or thank you for this. And so those sort of things that actually, you know, keep me going. It's like, you know, I don't have to focus on silly clickbait stuff to, you know, get people to, to tune in. It's stuff that can actually help people improve their life. And I think that's kind of like been one of the things that keeps me going. Love it. When you're creating content, I'm sure that you have like some goals in mind, like maybe it's helping people break into cyber through resumes or better interview tactics or negotiation. You know, how are you hoping to help people with your content and what you're doing today? Yeah, it's the same. I've just been kind of restructuring. Um, Believe it or not, I get like a lot of sometimes of the topics that I may want to talk about from Twitter or LinkedIn, YouTube. And because you'll see a lot of the same conversations going over and over again, like you brought up about like not lying on your resume. And I'll just touch on that quickly. It is because I'll go a step further, not lying on your resume or lying on your interview. With the pandemic, we've seen an uptick in people, different people interviewing for jobs that they're not going to work. And therefore, it's a different person that gets the job. And that person sometimes ends up getting fired because they can't do what they impress the interviewers with. And when you combine that with lying on the interview, it just goes all wrong. I've seen, you know, people get fired super fast or, you know, probably have an entry level skill set, but trying to get senior and principal level roles, you know, possibly just for the money. So my goal is to say, hey, it's okay. Everyone has a starting place. Everyone has to start from somewhere. Like just build your skill set up and eventually you won't even have to have your profile open to work. Like your skill set will be so good to where you'll get 
an influx of email messages, you know, every day. It's funny because while we're <laughs> talking on this podcast right now, I just got in mail for a role, which I was actually talking about that specific vendor in my latest uh, LinkedIn post. Interesting. When you look at folks that are looking to to go into these jobs and, you know, Ron and I have witnessed firsthand someone completely lying in an interview and we were able to really detect it during that interview. And it's a crazy story that we'll have to share another day. But when you, you look at folks that are trying to survive, they're trying to survive, they're trying to climb that ladder and they're trying to maybe even get that position at the perfect company, the perfect role. What do you think are some of the tenants that you would tell that person to go into that that interview and show their best self? I like to tell people to kind of show that passion and that confidence. A lot of people kind of, uh, what, I, what I've experienced with my clients is that a lot of them actually already have all the skills and everything. They just don't market themselves correctly or, or confident in themselves. And I try to tell people, say, hey, if you're going to be in cybersecurity, you have to exude confidence in the interview simply because that that company wants to put their information you know, in your hands. And if you're not confident in your answers on what you're going to do to protect it or, you know, get it back, if something happens to it, why would they hire you? So I always say confidence, passion, be truthful. You know, you can always, you know, misdirect questions to where if you don't have experience, like a lot of experience in one thing you could bring up, but you have experience a lot and try to correlate the two. Because I've seen people do that as well. Like, you know, they may not have, you know, all the experience of this, so they may be pivoting, you know, from like a whole different career field. I was like, you know, focus on that transferable skills, you know, and build that bridge to show them, hey, you know, I do understand what you're talking about. You know, I put in the work, I did my labs, I did my projects, you know, I understand the stuff and I did similar things, though not cyber related. I did in the, you know, in the past career. So I think it really just boils down to like that, the biggest word that starts with a C, that confidence and then building off that confidence with also just being truthful. Sometimes people want to embellish. I mean, you can maybe embellish a little bit, you know, as far as like wording on your resume, but you have to understand it. One time I had a person, I don't even, they end up getting a free consultation out of me, which I don't even know how that happened one time, but <laughs> they had a resume. I think somebody made it for them or whatever. And uh, they were embellishing so much. Like they had a, a slunk and something else on there, but not ask them, do they know what's plunk? is they said no if you're gonna lie on your resume at least know what the stuff is that you're lying about on it (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's a huge difference between exaggeration and then just a flat-out lie (laughs) security controls fail everywhere they fail constantly and worst of all they fail silently that's why you need attack iq the leading automated insights platform to continually validate your defenses Better insights, better decisions, and real security outcomes. Get it all with Attack IQ. Plus, check out the Attack IQ Academy for free cybersecurity training featuring the good people here at Hacker Valley Studio. Register today at academy.attackiq.com and let them know Hacker Valley Studio sent you. One thing that you brought up was passion. You know, having the confidence, but also having the passion in what you're doing. And I'll be honest, a lot of people that I've spoken to, even tried to mentor in cybersecurity, had no passion for the industry. They had a passion for everything about it. The lifestyle that you could live, maybe some of the money that you could earn, the opportunity to learn frequently. But when it came to the technology and the, the ideas and domain, they, they just weren't really that passionate, but they were okay with doing the things that it takes to be successful. What kind of advice do you have for those people, like whether they're getting started or already in the field, 
How do they double their game and upgrade their minds to be a better practitioner? Yeah, that's actually a, a good question because when you were saying about like they like everything, what it could do for them, immediately start thinking about professional athletes. So I can see the boxers that that love boxing and I can see the ones that don't. Mm-hmm. It's all in the actions, all how they carry yourself. I think it's the same way, you know, 2020, post-pandemic, we've seen, you know, influx of, hey, getting the tech and get six figures, right? So everybody wants to get the money and stuff like that. So that's what they're chasing. But like one of my recent videos I did is about like kind of like, you know, why I quit my last role. And then um, one of my latest podcast episodes with um, shout out to Shamika. She's a cyber threat intelligence analyst for uh, Twilio. We were talking about how like money isn't really the deciding factor because, you know, there are all types of jobs like now where we're in a level where you're getting paid like a lot of money and I could just not be doing anything all day with a lot of money and not be satisfied and say, hey, I'm going to quit. <laughs> and, you know, the person who just wants the money, they probably won't quit, but they they won't realize until five years later that, hey, I didn't learn anything in my skill set. Now I can't move on. And so for the people like that, I mean, you could potentially keep on doing the same roles, but if you want to progress you have to find some type of technology and tech or something that you're passionate about. Even if, you know, we use so much social media and our phones, maybe it could be something, you know, social media related that you dive into tech related or even cybersecurity related, a certain product you learn how to protect that you like. You know, if you're passionate about that, something you like, then I think you could probably gain that passion. But it's hard to just go off money for a long time if you don't like what you're doing. That's anybody. You see it. If you're not in love with it no more, you know, it may be time to do something else. A hundred percent. And I mean, that's good advice for anybody in really any industry. Look at me, right? I really loved threat intelligence. Threat intelligence was my favorite thing to do. Was I a huge fan of doing things like vulnerability management? No, it really wasn't my particular bag. But then you go to something like creating content. I love creating content, having great conversations with people like you about cybersecurity, your background, what you do in the space, the nuggets that can apply to everyone out there. I could do this to the cows come home. And it it definitely shows through. People see the passion and the love that I have for having these conversations. What is that piece of advice for someone to find out what it is that really speaks to them, whether you're talking about cybersecurity, technology, or really in any industry, how do they find that, that path that they're most passionate about? Hmm, that's a good one. Cause you know, I heard a little bit like when you start talking about that content, I've been getting that itch as well. It's like, I like what I do, but it's like, you know how sometimes I feel like you was born to do something? Right. Like I get that itch too. Cause I've always, I've always been a talker. I've always wanted to start, you know, different type of podcasts or consumer that I used to be a musician. So there's that added part into it as well. Just like, you know, of doing things like this. But truth be told, I think for someone to find it, it's kind of like something that feels like, they're really good at, they have a knack for, and they were born to do it. Like I've met, you know, a lot of people that I love to bring my guy up every time I'm in a, a podcast episode, man. <laughs> I name drop Dayspring all the time because uh, he's 20 years old and now he's a cloud detection engineer for Datadog. But that is a, a person I met two years ago who is talented and has a knack for doing this. He, you know, he wants to teach. He's always working on something, trying to help people, right? I'm not as good as like doing the helping part, like actually doing like, I don't have the time really to do the technical content per se, as much as he does. But if you can find something that you have a knack for, you're naturally good at, I think you're evil, you're excelling your career even earlier than just trying to chase something just because it's going to pay you a lot of money. I think from what I've seen in my career span, I think that's the advice I would give somebody. Like, you know, if you're getting something, but that's cool. You know, get right there. I'm all for about, you know, get in where you fit in, but then start researching stuff and, and see if you like that. See if, you know, 
you can network with someone who does it like on a, a site like LinkedIn or whatever. And I like to tell people all the time now, YouTube, type in day in the life. Those are like some of the most searched videos on YouTube that let people know, hmm, I would like to do that and then go from there and, and see if you would actually like it, shadow somebody. And I think that's one of the ways where you can find out if that's something you really want to do. There's something that I'm really picking up on that you and Chris were both saying. Y'all were saying, I love cybersecurity, incident response, threat intelligence. And then when you said content creation, it almost sounded like there was a different inflection, like a different <laughs> level of excitement and joy. So I'm going to pose you to the question, both of y'all. When you find something that you're passionate about, and then you find another thing that you're passionate about, how do you marry those two together? How do you separate the two and decide which one that you want to focus on? Let's start with you, Henri. Man. So, I mean, I think that's what I've been been doing now. Just slowly putting the work in, making better quality content, getting the value up and, and just learning all I can about, you know, I'm stepping into a whole, I mean, I've stepped into a different business. I don't even like to call myself an entrepreneur, but technically I am. Like all different aspects of what I've been putting work in, you know, for these past two years, it's like starting to pick up to where, you know, because I mean, something else I didn't mention out of content creation, I think one of my other goals of like when I was doing coaching and all this other stuff is like, I've wanted to get like black people jobs, right? Mm -hmm. And I already know I have a skill set. A friend of mine was like, man, we could, you know, start getting into some contracts, especially like some government contracts, right? And like, I just, I also want to like do my own company doing that. Like even another way just to help people out. I know exactly what type of talent we would need or who I would need to hire to do this type of thing to help them do that. But I think, with the content thing, I think is, you know, if we could to monetarily, it's kind of like, hey, can what I'm doing, you know, sustain me and my family? You know, is it going to be enough? You know, how much do I need to do that to where I could probably walk away from everything? I think that's, you know, for me, it is like if I was just, you know, by myself, I probably could just bet on myself. I always bet on myself. But when you have that family aspect to it, you got to kind of weigh your options and see, you know, when is the time going to be right and how can you do that? I think that's, right. you know, my answer for that. See, Ron, how, how are you going to ask this question at the very tail end of the conversation? Because this, this is a whole subject unto itself. We definitely need to have an episode specifically for this. But to make a long story short, when you look at what you're currently doing, and let's say it's bringing you some job satisfaction, and then you find something that just speaks volumes to you. And it's just, you know, I just want to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, one of the favorite books that, you know, we haven't talked about it as much lately, but we used to talk about it really early on in the podcast, but it's Cal Newport's Be So Good, They Can't Ignore You. And it all, it talks about how you take, the, it's a great book about being great at what it is that you're doing. And because passion isn't going to get you the job alone. Passion isn't going to get you a career by itself. It's about passion combined with practice, being able to do that thing and provide value to others. So I feel like if you're doing something that you like now, but it's not maybe the best thing in the world, but you can combine that thing or maybe even some of the sub skills that you've gained during that career and transition it into something that you absolutely love to do and you can make a living off of it. I think that's one of the best things in the world that can happen to somebody because Number one, a lot of folks don't think it's possible. A lot of folks don't think that if, oh, wow, you know, I've built all these skills in this particular industry, there's no way I can leave it because then I'd have to basically start over. There are creative ways. I think being creative is the way to make that pivot into something that you absolutely love, can provide value to folks, but also be able to take care of your family. 
What about you, Ron? Nice. I like that. And it makes me think, and my answer is starting to shift a little bit based off of you two's answer. So what I'll say is it makes me think that you have to have that excitement, that passion, but you also have to index on your energy. Where are you going to devote that time? You know, Henri was talking about his content and, you know, putting more in time, more time into it and also being a business owner. You know, those are trade-offs that you have when you go down a new route and explore a new passion. So I would say, you know, assess the trade-offs, look at what you have to devote to it and, you know, see if there's a way to combine the two or just separate and focus on the thing that you're most passionate about. I am passionate about a lot and I have to actually tell myself not to look at things on artificial intelligence a lot because Mm. I'll go down a rabbit hole without any intention on doing something with the knowledge that I gain. Yeah, but I think you could easily go down that rabbit hole of artificial intelligence and just learn it, right? Or is it the fact that you're learning about it makes you want to do it? Exactly. It makes me want to do it. And then it makes me want to like go to a subscription, (laughs) put my credit card information in, then sign up for a newsletter and then never go back to it again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember which president it was, but they said that make a list of all the things you you could ever want to do in your life, like your top 20, like bucket list items. And once you make that list, take the top five of them say, this is what you're going to do and then throw the rest away. I think that's kind of like the the trade-off that you have to have when you have like these big, hairy, audacious goals in life that like, I'm going to do these things and there's nothing that's going to stop me from doing that. I feel like if you have too many things on your list, you will get distracted. What do you think, Henri? Yeah, that's definitely the case. I mean, I, and I could say that even with people trying to pivot into cyber, like they start trying to pay attention to all these different things people are talking about instead of just focusing on like one Go learning that and then learning the next thing. So it's hard to learn, you know, two things. I have to tell myself that too, you know, really struggle with like, you know, staying on task or I'm doing one thing. Ooh, that's shiny over there. Let me go do that and then come <laughs> back. So I have to tell myself that all the time and give myself like a timeline or something like that. Say, hey, I, I need to work on this, man. Let me, let me go ahead and finish this. Like if I make it more urgent to myself, I get it done, which I'm trying to get out of that. Right. What would you say is that decision logic for choosing that path? Whatever it is, maybe it's going down a certain path to cybersecurity. Maybe it's a certain way of creating content. Maybe it's the content itself. Like, what is that one piece of advice that you would have for somebody that's looking to take a path, but they have many paths before them? I don't like to use the word easy. I'll say, what's the most logical path for you right now? And which one can you eventually do after, you know, or let's say which one is the, you know, lowest barrier to entry for you. That's going to take, you know, take care of you or whatever your your situation is. You know, try to do that first and then reserve time for, you know, your passion. I actually made a, I kind of got a lot of fact for this on Facebook a couple of years ago, telling people like, don't go to college and and chase your passion, get a degree that's going to make you some money, then chase your passion later. (laughs) (laughs) People got mad at me for that, but I was just trying to explain them, hey, you know, I see a lot of people that's got these expensive degrees and and jobs that's trying to pay them $20 an hour. And, you know, what's the point? (laughs) I was like, you know, you could do that passion or you want to do that later. Like just get something that can sustain your family. Because as we see now, 2022, the gas is about $5 a gallon, you know, even out here right here in Texas. So it's like uh, that kind of stuff is not going to sustain the family. So I would say do what you have to do. That's going to help, you know, at least let you take care of yourself, survive. Really, let's go past survive and thrive and then focus on that passion, you know. Love that. 
Great advice for someone out there looking to make a difference in their life and the lives of others. Henri, thank you so much for hopping on OX with us. For those that want to stay up to date with you, your podcast, your coaching groups, what are the best ways for people to do that? So you can find me on all social media at Textual Chatter. That's going to be T-E-C-H-T-U-A-L, Chatter. Uh, you can follow the podcast at thetextualtalk.com. It's on all streaming platforms. If you follow me on social media, I have a link in my bio that takes you like to everything, whether you want some coaching. I, I didn't even bring up, uh, if you're interested in getting cybersecurity, I actually wrote a book called The Textual Post to Breaking Into Cybersecurity uh, last December. That book is in the link as well. Short, good, quick read with a lot of advice on pretty much to help you hopefully start your careers. Stuff that I still do in my career in that book, and it'll help you out. And yeah, and or you can find me on LinkedIn at... Uh, Henry Davis. Just type in H-E-N-R-I Davis. Excellent. We'll be sure to drop that in the show notes for everyone to stay up date with you, Henry. Really appreciate the great conversation with that. We'll see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. 